Chad Daybell agrees with the prosecution's argument in Lori Vallow's trial, and he wants to hold them to their word, and it may just work. We have an update on the Caitlin Armstrong trial. The Gilgo Beach murder suspect gets a visit in jail from his wife. Wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall for that conversation? What happens when the cops ignore facts? Well, it means a man spends 25 years in prison for a crime he did not commit, and then our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment below and hit that little bell for notifications of when we go live or put up new content. Remember, you can always listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. All right, today is November 10th, 2023. Happy Veterans Day to all that have served who are or who are active duty right now. You are the ones that took an oath to support and defend the Constitution. And when you raise that hand, it says, guess what? If there's a situation, take me first. And for that, we should all say thank you. Now, it is also another important day. It is November 10th. That is the Marine Corps birthday. And the Marine Corps is celebrating its 248th birthday. And if you have earned the title of Marine, you know November 10th is celebrated as if it was your own birthday. That's right. Back in 1775, the Marines were born in a Philadelphia tavern where the Continental Congress during the American Revolutionary War authorized a battalion of Marines. And the rest is history. Semper Fi. All right, let's go ahead and open the record for November 10th, 2023. And first on the docket, Chad Daybell. He wants to hold the prosecution, well, to their words, their arguments that they made in the case of Lori Vallow. And lots of times, I think it is very important not to put any spin on it, just to give you the facts. So the attorney, Mr. Pryor for Chad DeBell has filed three motions. And I think the one that's probably the most interesting is the motion in limine, um, to limit the state to consistent arguments on behalf of uh, the defendant's relative culpability. All right. So Chad DeBell has filed three motions, a motion to strike the death penalty as arbitrary and capricious and disproportionate in light of the striking of the death penalty in the co-defendant's case, a motion to strike the death penalty based on relative culpability, and a motion limine to limit the state to consistent arguments on the defendant's relative culpability, and they are requesting a hearing. So I think this is the argument that is probably the most compelling, so let's talk about it. In their motion, uh, Chad DeBell's attorneys say that the core of the state's case against Mr. DeBell uh, and his co-defendant, Lori Vallow, was that she was the driving force behind this conspiracy that led to the deaths of Tylee um, Ryan and J.J. Vallow. Tamara DeBell and Miss Vallow used both Alex Cox and Chad DeBell through her emotional and sexual manipulation and that Miss Vallow remained in charge of this plan, her plan, throughout the conspiracy. Now, because it would violate principles of fundamental fairness, due process, and the prohibition against cruel and unusual punishment to allow the state to present different core theories in prosecuting Mr. Daybell, 
Mr. DeBell is requesting that the state be limited to presenting the same theory of its case in any trial against him. And he is saying that this should be done pursuant to the 6th, 8th, and 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution, as well as Article 1, Section 6, 7, and 13 of the state of Idaho. So as we know, state of Idaho um, has charged Chad DeBell and Lori Vallow as co-defendants in connection with the deaths of uh, Tylee Ryan, J.J. Vallow, and Tamara DeBell. And on March 3rd, 2023, the courts severed their Daybells and Ms. Vallow's trials, and Ms. Vallow's trial began on April of 2023. She was convicted on all counts, and during the trial of Ms. Vallow, the state argued repeatedly and consistently that the alleged conspiracy was set in motion by Lori Vallow and was driven by Lori Vallow's desire for and use of money, power, and sex. And the attorneys have cited to the transcript where that was stated. And uh, as the state has asserted, Ms. Vallow manipulated Chad and Alex Cox throughout the plan that she set in motion. Once again, the defense has filed uh, a, a cite to that transcript as well, where this people in their arguments in the first trial for Lori Vallow stated that specifically. So the core of the state's case was that Lori set this conspiracy in motion, manipulated Chad and Alex to partake in this conspiracy, and was in charge throughout her plan. They note that in the uh, prosecution's uh, arguments and presentation of evidence that Lori Vallow is the one who ties all of these things together. Lori is the conduit of the information to Alex. He does, Alex does what Lori tells him to do and removes any obstacles from the plan. They also cite that Lori Vallow is telling Alex Cox what to do. In these messages, you never see Alex tell her what to do. She's telling him what to do. That was in Melanie Gibbs' transcript where uh, she was referred to as uh, when Alex was asked something to do, he said, okay, Captain. Why? Well, because she was in charge. So the question that Chad DeBell's attorneys then raise is that serious questions are raised when a state uh, takes inconsistent positions in two separate criminal proceedings against two of its citizens. And they cite to United States v. Valencia, Mendoza. It's a Ninth Circuit case that quotes uh, Bradshaw v. Stump, which is a 2005 United States Supreme Court case where Justice Ginberg concurring that the United States Supreme Court has addressed the prosecutor's use of inconsistent prosecutorial theories in a co-defendant's case on only one occasion, which considered whether even guilty pleas could be remain valid when the state has altered its theory regarding uh, co-defendants' relative culpability and conspiratorial roles. Now, the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit had held that the prosecution's use of inconsistent theories as to the identification of the shooter violated due process and required the invalidation of the defendant's guilty plea. On appeal, the Supreme Court held that the guilty plea itself could remain intact since the identity of the trigger man did the requisite intent for the plea. However, while expressing no opinion on whether the prosecution's actions amounted to a due process violation or whether any such violation would have been prejudicial, the court held that inconsistencies may have influenced sentencing and thus reversed and the sentence and remanded it for a new sentencing hearing. So in more directly addressing the issue of inconsistent prosecutorial theories being presented at co-defendant's trial, 
severed trials, lower courts have repeatedly held that the state may not present inconsistent theories that go to the core of their case. And the attorneys for Chad Daybell cite to a case called Thompson v. Calderon. Uh, it was a Ninth Circuit case back in 1997, and it was overturned on other grounds, but state is well established that when no significant evidence comes to light, prosecutors cannot, in order to convict two defendants at separate trials, offer inconsistent theories and facts regarding the same crime. It could be considered a due process violation. Attorneys for Chad Day Bell say that the uh, core of the state's case in Lori's trial was that she was the driving force behind this conspiracy leading to everyone's deaths and that uh, Alex Cox and Chad Day Bell through emotional and sexual manipulation was obviously the one that was in charge throughout. As such, it would be plainly inconsistent with the core of the state's case to argue that Mr. Day Bell's trial, that he was the person that planned or set in motion the conspiracy leading to everyone's deaths. It would, all, it would likewise be inconsistent to argue that Chad's alleged actions were taken of his own accord, free from manipulation and coercion. And then the attorneys cite all the times throughout the Lori Vallow trial that the prosecution has stated that Chad was manipulated through sex um, and some other form of manipulation throughout the trial, providing sites in the transcript uh, for the uh, court to uh, see that that's exactly where it takes place. So for those reasons, the uh, defense wants to limit the state to arguing only levels of relative culpability that are consistent with what was argued during Ms. Vallow's trial and sentencing, especially if the state continues to seek a more severe punishment for Mr. Daybell, which is obviously the death penalty. And the state must be limited to presenting the same core theory that was presented in the case against Ms. Vallow, that she was the driving force and that the deaths would not have occurred but for Lori Vallow's involvement. So what does this really mean? Yes, it makes sense. Hey, prosecution, it's a little disingenuous for you to get in, in the court and say when you have these severed trials now, Lori Vallow drove this conspiracy, drove this conspiracy. Then, since the case was severed, to have get up in trial and say that Chad DeBell was the driving force of this conspiracy. That's pretty inconsistent. Is it unethical? Mm, maybe not. Probably no. I don't know. Um, the courts don't like it. And frankly, you know, if that's what they think their theory is, it should be consistent throughout. However, does it really lower the culpability of a co-conspirator? No. When a conspiracy, when there's an agreement to commit an illegal act among two or more people, the old you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound, you are responsible for what the conspiracy does, even if you may not know the total extent of it, but you have to know what you're in for, which is, i.e., in this case, get rid of the kids. You may not know the circumstances, the specifics of how the kids are going to be harmed, but you know the overall intent of the conspiracy. In for a penny, you're in for a pound. Now, the other arguments that the defense is making for Chad Bell is that saying, hey, judge, it's just not fair for you to allow the death penalty to remain on the table for Chad Bell. And the only reason that it's on the table for Chad Bell is that we waived our right to a speedy trial so that he could have effective assistance of counsel 
And the only reason that you took it off the table for Lori Vallow was because she wouldn't waive her right to speedy trial. The prosecution had failed to turn over all this evidence in a timely manner that was in their possession, care, and control. And so the sanction was no death penalty. Pretty unlikely that she would get it, or at least stand on appeal, given her mental uh, conditions that she's had throughout uh, this case. But that was the decision that was made. So the defense is saying, hey, it's just simply not fair. We want to be prepared. Why do we get a more severe penalty? Now, the prosecution is going to respond to these motions, and they're going to say, hey, that's the way things go. And I almost guarantee it. The prosecution is going to come and argue that, hey, we can argue inconsistent theories of prosecution. I've seen it done. I think it's a little sketchy when prosecutors do it. Their theory was they planned it. They, these two wanted to be together. I think that the prosecution can get up and say, Lori and Chad acted in concert. They knew what they were doing. And it doesn't really matter whether he was motivated because of sex. Uh, she rocked his world and he was going to do anything to be with her. He was the one that did it. Either way, it's still the object of the conspiracy. Let the jury decide. All right. We'll see what the response is from the prosecution. And when we get it, we'll bring it to you and we'll talk about it. Next, an update on the Caitlin Armstrong trial. That's right. The accused killer, Caitlin Armstrong, apparently told the uh, plastic surgeons while she was on the run in Costa Rica that she needed uh, some work done on her eyes and lips because, well, she had aged significantly. Yeah, being on the run can do that to you. Anyway, Armstrong, who's accused of shooting Mariah Wilson about 18 months ago, fled to Costa Rica following the death and sought out plastic surgeons to have a nose job and a brow lift. Now, the murder trial taking place in Austin, Texas, uh, the juries heard how the accused killer had set up the surgery in the country under the name of Allison Page. The jury also heard how Ms. Armstrong asked the surgeon if he could throw in any work underneath her eyes or lips telling them she had just aged significantly in recent days. It happens. Anyway, the jury was shown images of her post-operation uh, photos with her face bruised around the uh, nose and eyes area. And the court also showed receipts that she got this all done for the small price of $6,350 in Costa Rica. Heck, sign me up. So Dr. Jorge Badia did the work and uh, in the court documents also noted that um, Ms. Armstrong did not want the surgeon to take any photographs of her before or after the surgery. So as well as the brow lift and the nose job, Ms. Armstrong uh, also had some fillers in her lips and eyes. Next on the docket, Gilgo Beach. That's right, Rex Huerman got a jail visit from his wife. Wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall in that interview? Hey, honey, what's up? Not much. Anything going on? No, not really with me either. What do they say? He can't say anything to his wife. It could potentially be used against him or soon to be ex-wife, right? Is there privilege? I don't think there is. Anyway, the wife of the alleged Gilgo Beach serial killer, Rex Sherman, visited him in the jail for the first time since he was arrested back on July 13th. Now, the soon to be ex-wife has filed for divorce six days after the uh, architect was charged with the murder of three sex workers whose bodies were among 11 found in the uh, little stretch of coastline there on Long Island between 2010 and 2011. Now, she's, the soon-to-be ex-wife is also suing the FBI for damages sustained during a 12-day search of their home 
there in Massapequa Park, New York. And um, she apparently has also had to refuse. Part of these damages is she refused to walk down the street due to the hostility of the neighbors. Like I said, Mr. Hume has been charged with killing Megan Waterman, Melissa Bartholomew, and Amber Lynn Costello as is the prime suspect of a fourth suspect, Maureen Brainerd Barnes. Hureman is not contesting the divorce after being served papers by his wife of some 27 years. His uh, two children, Victoria Hureman, has worked at their father's firm, architecture firm, and the son have also stayed away uh, from any sort of jail visits. Now, the soon-to-be ex-wife's lawyer has said that the uh, wife of Mr. Hureman risks losing health coverage uh, for her breast and skin cancer uh, since filing for divorce. And the sources uh, close to her have said that health insurance was from her husband's employment. So she'll no longer be able to get treatment for her cancer. Apparently cancer drugs are expensive. Yeah, so like I said, can you imagine this conversation? Hey Rex, what's going on? Not much, anything you'd like to tell me? Anything new going on? No, pretty much the same, pretty much the same, yeah. Really, I mean, what do you talk about? Oh my gosh, I would love to be there. Um, and remember, anything you say can and be, will be used against you. Could it be, hey, you need to stop fighting this, give me whatever I want, or else, or how could you do this to me? I love you, I'm standing by you. Uh, gonna get crazy, gonna get crazy. Next, what happens when police do not follow the facts? Oh, that's right, you could possibly spend the next 25 years in prison. So a California man who has spent 25 years in prison for a murder he did not commit, was exonerated and ordered released by a judge yesterday after prosecutors agreed that he'd been wrongfully convicted. It's a shame that it took 25 years to get to that point. So Miguel Solario was arrested back in 1998 for a drive-by shooting, Whittier, southeastern part of Los Angeles, and was eventually sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Well, the Superior Court Judge William Ryan overturned Solario's conviction during a Los Angeles court hearing that he, Mr. Solario, attended remotely. When the hearing concluded, Solario thanked his Northern California Innocence Project attorneys, calling them his dream team. He said, it's like a dream I don't want to wake up from. The day has finally come. Well, the attorneys who petitioned for Solario's release argued that his conviction was based on, guess what? Faulty eyewitness identification practices. Yes, if you look at all of those cases where people have been exonerated, what are the two key factors? Junk science and faulty ID procedures. Anyway, in a letter last month addressed to the court from the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office, they stated that they were uh, confident and uh, definitively concluded that Solario is entitled to be released. I mean, that's about as good as you're going to get by saying, oops, sorry about that. We convicted the wrong guy. Now, Mr. Solario's attorneys have also said that uh, the case against him relied heavily on the now debunked method of identifying a suspect and uh, that contaminates the witness's memory by repeatedly showing photos of the same person over and over again. In Mr. Solario's case, four eyewitnesses were shown his photo before it was in the news, but they did not identify him as a suspect, and some even pointed to a completely different person. But the law enforcement said, the facts be damned, and they continued to present witnesses with photos of Mr. Solario 
rather than pursue other leads until some of them eventually identified him. Saying, oh, there we go. You got it. He's the guy. So this case is a, a tragic example of what happens when law enforcement develop tunnel vision in their pursuit of a particular suspect, Mr. Solario's attorneys noted. And once a witness mentioned Solario's name, law enforcement officers zeroed in on only him, disregarding other evidence and possible suspects, and putting their own judgment and own guilt or innocence above the facts. That's a problem. The district attorney did note that new a documentable scientific consensus emerged back in 2020 that a witness's memory for a suspect should be tested only once as even the test itself contaminates the witness's memory. Well, Mr. Solario, it sucks you had to go through that. Truly sorry. Um, and the witness that said, oh yeah, that was the guy, I hope you feel a little sorry too today for putting a man in prison for 25 years for a crime he did not commit. And then finally today, our dumb criminal of the day. Take a look at this video. Let me walk you through it. So this man who hasn't been identified uh, apparently was outside of his car and reaching into the drive-through window at a McDonald's in White Marsh, Maryland, which is about 16 miles south of Baltimore, apparently. Look at this video clip. The man begins to hurl various uh, McDonald's cups uh, to be given out to customers full of drinks. And you do this, you do this. He can be heard yelling as he uh, tosses packages of French fries. He then goes for the drinks. Staff members not really sure what's going on. He then throws sodas um, far enough. The people inside the restaurant are a little bit shocked and surprised. And the man can be heard screaming, shut it down, as he attempts to take part of the soda fountain. Then he yells, give me some food, seemingly telling everyone at the McDonald's employees that he needs food. Suddenly, he rips the cash register completely apart with the computer screen uh, off its hinges and proclaims he, that he owns everything. Then he says, once again, give me some food, and he's threatening to confront uh, one of the workers there. He then shakes the uh, cash register, rips it apart, demanding food yet again. When one of the employees tries to reassure him that the food is coming, he tells them to give him some fries. He then calls whomever he's addressing uh, with some other profanity before telling her to give him some fries. After one final outburst, the man slams the drive through window shut and walks away. It's unclear if the man was even arrested, but it looks like he got some food. I don't know, ladies and gentlemen, more food violence? I don't get it. Was it his order? I, I think I know what it is. You know how when you go through the drive through and they say your order's not ready yet and you pull up and they forget about you? Maybe that's what happened. No excuse for it, but just saying, McDonald's, I hate when you guys do that. Just saying. All right. Have a wonderful Veterans Day. Hope you have a great weekend, not just a good weekend. And we'll see you next time on Crime Talk. Crime Talk.